Today on the podcast, we're having a conversation about budgets. Now, before you're tempted to press skip episode, it's probably not the type of conversation you're imagining. My guest is best-selling author, Melissa Brown, and she says budgets don't work. In fact, she wrote a book and made it the title. She believes that when it comes to saving and spending money, we're not all the same. And yet for a long time, financial advice likes to treat us as though we are. So if budgeting isn't the solution to our finances, what is? Today, I give Melissa a call to find out. Hi everyone and welcome to Phone Calls with Clever People. My name's Shane Hatton. I'm a speaker, author and mentor from Melbourne, Australia and I'm passionate about all things leadership and communication. I realized recently that I know some really clever people in my network and I thought it would be a fun idea to be able to take some of their cleverness and share it with the rest of the world. Now through the wonders of technology, I'm broadcasting my phone calls with clever people just for you. And really the premise is quite simple. I just want to be able to ask great questions of talented people to help us all become more effective leaders. I'm on the phone with Melissa Brown and not only is she a best-selling author, but she's an educator, speaker, financial wellness advocate, and multi-award winning entrepreneur amongst other things. And her work focuses on helping people reduce their financial overwhelm, to understand why they behave the way they do with their finances, and to design a life that they're excited about. And I'm very excited to have her on the show. Mel, welcome. Thanks for having me. I've been really looking forward to this conversation because I uh, actually spent the weekend reading your brand new book, Budgets Don't Work But This Does, and I have so many questions for you and so many conversations that that we're going to be having today. Um, But one of the things I always do when we kick off is I love to start with some fast facts. It helps people get to know you a little bit better. Um, So three quick questions for you. Number one, where were you born? Number two, what was your first job? And number three, uh, what are you doing with yourself now? Oh, so where was I born? I am a pure Western Sydney bogan. So I was born in Blacktown Hospital um, in the western suburbs of Sydney and then grew up in Penrith. Uh, first job was Checkout Chick, uh, so first part-time job uh, when I was at school. Uh, and from there, I was studying law, so I worked with a bank as part of their managerial development scheme before I worked out law wasn't for me. And what am I doing at the moment is I am isolating out at the Gorgeous Blue Mountain. Hey, it's Shane here. Now, I don't normally like to interrupt your podcast listening, but you might have noticed that the conversation that I was having with Mel kind of breaks up a little from time to time. I guess that's one of the joys of being in the Blue Mountains and not having much phone reception. Normally, I'd cut it out, but Mel shares some gold over the next couple of minutes that I didn't want you to miss out on. So if you can deal with the audio quality for the next couple of minutes, we jump over to Zoom and the audio is a little bit better from there. I want to be able to kick off this conversation because this, this I guess, podcast and this show is all about having leadership conversations. And it seems strange to be having a conversation about finance because often when think, people think about finance or budgets, they think, well, that's just a real personal thing. It's not a real leadership thing. Mm. And I feel like that's a little, I feel a little bit differently about that. How do you feel about, is this a, is this a leadership conversation we need to be having? Oh, absolutely. I think when it comes to money, people are very quick to sweep it under the carpet. And I don't, it doesn't matter if that's a wellness conversation or a leadership conversation or a strategic conversation. It's kind of a, we'll get to that or that'll just sort itself out. Whereas what we know, and the research proves this, 
is stress about money can actually drop our IQ. Um, So they've done many research studies where for some people it's shown that it has the same effect as a new mum where they're not sleeping. So can you imagine being in a leadership position and having leadership but operating on half the sleep that you would normally have because of that underlying low-level stress about money? Mm. Um, And not only that, I think it's if we don't understand how we're operating, haven't ever looked at our money story, we don't understand what money type we are, then we can be operating in businesses where there is so much to do with finance and money and not realise that we're actually we're reacting from our personal financial leadership position, which isn't potentially a good position. And we're presuming that others in the business that we're working with are doing money wrong when actually they're not doing money wrong. It's just not how we would do it. So I think having a different perspective and a different language around money um, and actually getting some leadership around money is super helpful um, if you're in the leadership position. A lot of people, when we're having conversations about money, we tend to be really dysfunctional around those conversations. And we, we feel like money uh, conversations can be a little bit icky or a little bit uncomfortable. Why do you think we're all a little bit dysfunctional around money? Um, I think it's due to the money story that we've either grown up with or um, the very Western money story that says that it's not polite to talk about money. You know, sex, money, politics, religion. They were the traditional subjects that we didn't talk about over dinner. Um, And I kind of think that sex has been made acceptable to talk about. Politics and religion, even somewhat, but money is the last remaining taboo where we just, there's an awkwardness. And I think part of it is if we don't think we're at the right stage and age we should be at, Um, or just simply that money story around it's not polite. I mean, certainly we saw it in the media with Georgie Gardner in the Today Show where Lisa Wilkinson challenged um, the the dollar value that she was worth and ended up walking. And when Georgie Gardner was asked what she was paid as someone that filled that role, she actually said publicly, I think it's crass to talk about it. I thought, come on, Georgie, just have the conversation. So, I mean, that's a really recent example where someone publicly said it's not okay to talk about money. Mm. And I think that that those tend to be the same conversations that you might be having when you're with a group of people. If Imagine being yeah. out for dinner with your friends and, and talking about how much you earn in a year or talking about uh, how much you're investing. Even the thought of that makes me feel sick in my stomach. Yeah. And let's also discuss how honest people would be. Probably <laughs> the same question as how many times you're having sex. There'll be embellishment. There'll be less or more. Or I mean, people aren't going to be honest about it anyway. I don't believe. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, certainly I can't say so. What's your um? What's your credit bill like, Shane? How? <laughs> what have you got on your credit card at the moment? You tell me to get stuffed. Yeah. <laughs> there is this this privacy around money. Yeah. And I think, again, part of this conversations, I think you touch on really nicely in the book and I'd love to kind of dive a little bit more into you talk about our money story and, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's so much out there. And as, as someone who works with leaders around communication, I often talk about the stories we tell ourselves, the stories that we tell others, but these ones that we, t- the stories that we tell ourselves um, are so important because they frame uh, our perception of money. They frame our perception of, of the people around us. And, and, and what do we, when you talk about money story, what do you talk 
talk about when you say that? Yeah, so money story comes out of, um, so in the book I describe your financial phenotype. So a phenotype in, in nature is uh, the composite of, of an organism's nature and nurture. Um, so when it comes to money, I looked at the same, said, okay, so in money, what's, what's your nature and what's your nurture? And I believe your money story and your money environment make up that nurture element. So it's the stories, messages, myths that we've grown up with that it comes to money. So whether that is from your parents, from your peers, from society in general, from the media, uh, so stories that we've picked up. And they may be absolutely innocuous. They may actually be really helpful, that we've, but we've never looked at them and, and asked the question, can we amplify that story? Um, but for many of us, they're actually harmful. Mm. And that story around it's not polite to talk about money is a really as just a really simple story. Um, other stories are that uh, women are far worse investors than men. Um, and 93% of Americans believe that story research was carried out um, a number of years ago. And yet in similar, in other studies in the UK, in Warburton University, um, women were actually proven to be better investors than men. So a lot of these stories are actually myths or untruths. Mm. But it's figuring out which ones are we carrying and then are they actually right for us? So one I'm seeing a lot at the moment is that a man should look after a woman financially. Again, a seemingly innocuous money mm. story. But what does that mean if you're in a gay couple? What does that mean if you're a woman? What does it mean for your personal leadership if you feel that you can't ask for pay rises, if you can't put yourself forward for positions because you don't want to demasculate your male partner? Um and does that mean, therefore, that you also can't talk about money in your household because of that money story? So it's working out what money story we're carrying and then asking the second most important question, and that is, is that serving me or sabotaging me? Mm. And then do I need to rewrite that money story as a result? Yeah, I like that that language around is this story helping me or is this hurting me, ha holding on to some of these things. And we often, yeah. um, many of these beliefs that we hold are things that we've held true for a long time and never actually questioned whether or not they are true. And so yeah. do you think this is a matter of just for a moment stopping and a bit, bit more intentionally asking myself what I believe? What are some of the ways that we can identify our money story? Yes, yeah, so some of it is simply asking the questions around uh, what money stories did I except growing up and they're probably something that you've never thought to ask before so it's just sitting down and, and spending some time and, and figuring out what do I believe when it comes to money and certainly in the book I've given different exercises to help you with that um, because it's not natural for us just to sit down and go oh I don't know let's think about money <laughs> you know we don't have those uh, neural pathways in our brain they're not they haven't become highways yet for us mm. so I've there's exercises in the book that I give um, a simple one is, do I think money is good, bad, or okay? And that might be that I think it's okay to have debt if it's to buy a house. It might be that I think um, money, too much money is not okay. It might be that I think it's good to go to university because then I will earn more. Um, and again, these are all different money stories that I've heard 
from people around, do you think money's good, bad, or okay? None of them are right or wrong, Mm. but they only become right or wrong if they're serving us or sabotaging us. Um, And then it's figuring out, okay, exactly as you said, what do I want to leave behind and what do I want to rewrite and take with me? Mm. And you you talk about it in the book almost like think about it like a relationship and like what's my relationship with money? Like what what if you were to kind of expand on that metaphor, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think many of us, and I talk about this in my uh, previous finance book, um, Unf Your Finances, I won't swear, um, <laughs> where many of us have a toxic, twisted relationship with money mm-hmm. and it's actually breaking up with money. So I, I actually believe that a lot of us just, lack of any bad relationship, need to break up with money um, because we can't have a relationship with money. We, sh- we And yet so many of us have attached emotions to money that shouldn't be there. And it's about moving it back to a tool again. No different than a car where it can get us from A to B. Most of us haven't thought about A and we haven't thought about B. And so we can't turn it into a tool to get us from there to there. Mm. But examples for an exercise to do around a relationship exercise with money is if I was to describe money as a relationship, how would I describe it? Is it like an ex-lover that I just can't stop thinking about? Is it supporting and nurturing? Um, is it like a drunk uncle that I'm worried is going to escape and tell tales on Facebook about me? Um, yeah, it's just figuring out how how do I relate to money? Mm. And again, one part of it's being curious, but and it's one thing to be curious. But then my next question is always, and is that serving you or sabotaging you? Yeah. What do I want to do as a result of that? Yeah. I, I, I like that you keep bringing it back to the lens of, is this in service to me? And if you yeah. were to see money as a tool, that it, it's a tool that's in service to you and is helping you achieve the goal of getting from A to B. And so the natural tendency is for a person to say, I'm not very good with this, but now I've identified, you know, some of the areas that I need to improve on. So my first response is I need a budget, right? And that's, that's <laughs> the, the first conversation that people have. And your Absolutely. book is called Budgets Don't Work. So uh-huh. the big question here is why why don't they work? Well, I don't believe budgets work in the same way that I don't believe diets work. Um, so diets would work. They're super restrictive. Uh, they work. They might work for a period of time, but a lot of the research proves that people put the, all the weight back and they're more some <laughs> uh, in, a, in a period of time, not long after that diet's over. Instead, when it comes to food, it's understanding your physiology. It's understanding why you've made those food choices. And then understanding how to eat well for the goals that you have in life, whether that goal is to run a marathon, whether that goal is just to be well. And it's the same with money. So budgets are super restrictive. They account for every single thing that we maybe might want to spend money on. And they're almost like a Christmas kids shopping list, if Mm -hmm. you like. So instead, yes, you still need to understand how much it costs you to live in a month. Uh, as in your fixed expenses or even your variable. So your utilities, your phone, your mortgage, your insurances, school fees for kids, all that sort of stuff. But all the other stuff, the variable things that you can control, they're the thing that you can change. Um, And in the book, I talk about how to set up great habits that work both for your money type 
and your money story so that you never have to budget again. And a simple one that I think everyone should do is the three basics bank accounts. So it's doing goal work. So figuring out where do I actually want to be rather than just living a life by default. And then working out from there, how much does it cost me to live a month? And then automating that to my bills account. From my goals, automating my savings to a savings account and then living on what's left. And when it comes to living with what's left, if there's not enough money for the lifestyle you want, it's either choosing is that lifestyle right for me or how can I find more money if this is really important to me? And by finding more money, it's not doing what most people do is find it with credit card or debt, but with more income. Mm. And and you've touched on something here, which is I, I think um, I love that you talked about in the book, which is not just focusing on uh, what do I need to be doing right now. It's actually asking myself, mm-hmm. what do I want to achieve in 12 months? And I think a little while ago, I remember watching a video that you did where people were asking you questions and there were questions like, should I have six months worth of savings put aside? And, and you t- kind of took a step back from there and said, well, you've got to ask yourself, what's the long term goal, which yeah. then allows me to answer the question, what? do I do over the next 12 months? So the the long-term goal is really important, right? Absolutely. And look, people might be thinking at the moment, we're in a time of COVID. We don't even know what next year is going to bring, never mind long-term goals. How can I still plan? Is there really a point in planning anymore? And I still think yes, because too many people I meet, I see them on their 25th birthday or 35th or 40th, that key milestone where they wake up one day and go, oh, how did I end up here? And I think too many people, too few people are putting that same strategic care and planning for our personal lives that we do for our businesses. You know, we can't imagine not have a strategic, not having some sort of strategic plan in our business. It's just we know where we're going with them. And yet we want to do the same with our personal finances and our own personhood. You know, I, when I sat down and did this a number of years ago, I really wanted the choice of working or not by the time I was 50. It was really important to me. Mm. So therefore, that then gave me the motivation to make decisions that needed self-control with my short-term spending in order to make long-term financial decisions so that I could choose to work or not at 50. But if I hadn't sat down and realised that I wanted that option, then I wouldn't have bothered being as um, aggressive with my investing and I would have just had more of a good time (laughs) in the moment, which is what I think most of us are doing. Yeah, I, I love that. Again, like you're touching on the, like think long term, but then break it down into what's the shorter term goals that I'm trying to achieve. And then what are the daily yeah. habits that I need to actually be able to implement this and be able to walk this out that aligns with the priorities of where I'm going. And so we've talked about your money story, which is obviously a huge part of this. And and to be honest, it's actually the biggest part in any of our leadership conversations, which is around the mm. stories I'm telling myself. Are they serving me or are they sabotaging me in the process? And we've talked about some of the things that in terms of um, having goals, or um, uh, I guess a a plan of what you'd like to achieve. But the environment along the way that we Mm -hmm. put ourselves in, you describe as the money environment also plays a really important part, right? Absolutely. So again, this is with nurture. Um, And for many of us growing up, we couldn't, we had no choice around the environments that we grew up in um, as to whether they were harmful or helpful. And yet too many of us as adults aren't curating the right 
financial environments. And we might be doing things, and I think I can see more and more of this where we decide that when we wake up, we're not going to have screen time when we first wake up, or we're going to add in meditation, or we're going to make sure that we move three times a week. But it's about extending that same mindfulness to setting up a money environment that's helpful for us. So that might be everything from restricting who we follow on social media because it's causing us to spend more through to monitoring our inbox to who we're allowing to to have access to us there. And I'm talking about companies that are um, advertising to us so that we can control and curate our environment through to who we're following. You know, uh, do we have a comparison culture and scarcity mentality money story around not being enough where we're getting into debt to, because we feel like we need to have a certain type of lifestyle because of the age and stage we're at and or are the peers that we're around influencing us towards that? And again, it's about then not saying, right, I'm never going to be on social media again and I'm also going to cut all the unhelpful friends out of my life or family. That's not helpful. But it is about saying, who can I place into my life so that that models both who I want to, how I want to behave financially, but also maybe even models where I want to be financially, as well as setting up great boundaries. And I talk about um, in my book, the fact that I can't have chocolate in the house. I have absolutely no self-control <laughs> brought into the house. It's with the understanding it's, it's disappearing in a day. When it comes to my money environment, I have those same self-control issues. So I'm very conscious and careful around my access to credit, where my savings are invested. So I don't have big wads of cash. Um, they're either tied up in the share market or in property because I know if I have a money environment where, which is very liquid, I know I'll access that. Um, so it's also having that self-understanding mm. and that personal leadership around, okay, I'm going to be honest with how I built, how I am and then set up a money environment that's conducive to success with whatever I look like. This is a really um, big conversation right now around a comparison culture that uh, we live in, in a FOMO culture. Yeah. We look at someone online and we see them traveling and we think, well, I need to travel more. And mm -hmm. so then we put all of our money towards that. And you're like, why am I not saving it? Or you see people buying their first homes and you're like, okay, well maybe the home thing is what I need to be doing right now. And we can be yeah. really persuaded based on the conversations that we're having or what we're seeing or the environment that we're creating. Um, and this is, you touched on a little bit, this is the kind of nurture space that people find themselves in. And is you also touch on the nature space, which is this like this inbuilt kind of DNA. There are some people who genuinely believe this is who I am and that's just all I'll be. Uh, what are your thoughts around that? So I, I like, and so the nurture, the nature part of it, I know that when it comes to money, we don't have a bunch of scientists walking around helping us understand who we are. And um, so I've created four different money types. And I believe most of us are a hybrid of those different types. But the reason I believe we have money types is the same way that I, whilst I, and I talk about this in the book where I don't love bucketing and boxing people and labeling them. However, if I look at my own life, I'm an introvert. Um, I know that if left to my own devices, I've loved this time of COVID where I've been allowed <laughs> to hermit. 
um, and to limit the uh, amount of access that people have to me. Uh, and that's just me. I, I de- I'm depleted energetically when I'm with people mm. um, and I recharge when I'm away from people and I can force myself to be extroverted for a period of time. I speak on stage. I can go out to a dinner and be extraordinarily extroverted and gregarious. However, in order to recharge, I need to do that away from people. Yeah, that if resonates I, with me. I, I describe myself as a charismatic introvert, which is because people will see that. you on stage and they're like, oh, you seem yeah. like the most extroverted person. I go, yeah, but I usually yeah. go home and cry in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> and they argue with you, right? They say, oh, you can't possibly be an introvert. <laughs> oh, yeah, stop taking me. Love the crying in the shower. Uh, but if you, if, especially if you relate to introversion or extroversion, I think you get money types because you understand that we have unique ways of behaving. You know, my husband and I, he's a worker money type. And I talk about this in the book. He absolutely believes in personal exertion to earn income. He's perpetually frustrated by people that earn income in a way that's not from them working hard. Mm. And he gets really frustrated when he sees people do well from not working hard. Um, whereas for me, I'm a discerner money type. I make money from thought leadership. I don't understand his compulsion to work 12 hour days when for me, I'm all about working smarter, not harder Mm. um, and leveraging my smarts. So, and he, if I forced him, which I have have to confess, I've tried to, I'm a woman. um, I've tried to take him to thought leadership uh, seminars. I've tried to change how he is, but it doesn't work. He's happiest when he, it's personal exertion income. But I also then don't leave our investing decisions to him. Um, And I've also set up that if something was to happen to me, uh, our SMSF is liquidated and it's put into an ETF because I know that he wouldn't bother following the process that I would want him to follow. It's just, it's not how he's inbuilt. Mm. Um, So it's, for me, it's about, your money type is understanding how you inherently behave and then setting up great habits that are right for you rather than trying to force yourself into a behavior that it's just wrong, that you perpetually try to sabotage Mm. or where you just figure that you're not good with money. Whereas you are, it's just that you're not good with perhaps the traditional way of doing money. Yeah. And this is the big conversation that you're you're having around why budgets don't work. In the mm. same with the metaphor around, you know, healthy eating versus restrictive dieting. It's the same way with budgets. You know, when it comes to exercise, you might just say, okay, in order for me to lose weight and be healthy, I have to wake up at 5 a.m. every day. And you're just not naturally yeah. a morning person. And so yes. you're constantly feeling like a failure because mm-hmm. you can't get up at 5 a.m. every morning. And so you'd rather do nothing than do, you know, than feel like a failure when it's actually yep. okay to go running at five o'clock in the afternoon um, exactly. and finding or what works it might for you. be running at 5am versus doing a bar class at 6.30 at night yeah. or doing CrossFit at lunchtime. Um, and those things are going to appeal to different people, but they're all going to get the same outcome, which is getting fitter, feeling uh, better, um, increased wellness, all of those things. Mm. We're just not bucketing people. And yet when it comes to money, we're saying, this is how you do money. 
Yeah, it's, one that, way. it's a one size fits all approach, which is the opposite mm-hmm. of what your book talks about. And it's when you were talking about because I, I did the, the money type and for me, I sit on the balance of worker and relater in terms of your money types. And some yeah. of the things about your husband that you were talking about definitely uh, fit uh, in terms of my, my way of thinking. And part of this is, again, like I, I operate a little bit with um, as a strengths coach as well. And I know you've, you've talked a little bit about mm. that in the book. And we often try to go, well, where are the areas that I'm not good at and how can I get better at those things? rather than understanding, well, what, how am I wired? And if I understand who I am, how do I enhance the best parts of me rather than feeling like I'm constantly trying to sabotage or catch up on the areas where I'm not good. Right. And I love this. I love the strength coach analogy um, because, and I talk about that in the book where a lot of the time too, we don't realize that our strengths are strengths. Um, So I can speed read and I must admit, I just thought that was normal until someone caught me one day and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm reading with a highlighter to slow myself down um, so that I absorb it. Or my current husband, I love calling him my second <laughs> husband. Um, <laughs> he's, he said to me, oh, my God, have you finished that book already? Like, I just think it's normal. Mm. Um, whereas if I, if I wasn't having those conversations, if people weren't making those observations, I might just think everyone can do that. Um, and certainly for the strengths test, they worked out that if people that had a higher level of speed reading looked at in, improving that, I think it was 600% or 6,000% or some different. ridiculous improvement. Yeah. Um, so it's understanding how we inhale how we innately behave with money, but what are our particular strengths and then turning those strengths into superpowers. And of course, most people don't think that they have strengths when it comes to money, but they'll hear that and go, well, I don't have any. So therefore (laughs) that won't be right for me. Yet the truth of it is if we understand our story and our type, then we can create a system that actually shows that we all have our money strengths. Yeah. And I love that. My, my friend, um, Rowan, who was on one of the very first episodes of the podcast has this great phrase. that talks about how we're wired is how we lead. And when we understand the way mm. that we're wired, it influences the way that we show up. And so again, this one size fits all approach to money, to budgeting, to everything that goes around that is never going to help us until we fully understand who we are. And that's obviously one of the big yeah. reasons why I love the money type kind of process within your book, uh, that you unpack. And now I'm mindful of the time as we kind of bring the conversation into land, um, a lot of people, they're, they're thinking now, okay, well, what does this look like practically? What do I do now? And obviously my first suggestion to them is to go get the book and discover your money type, um, to think about your money stories. There's so much in there. But if you were to give somebody some practical tips on what they could be doing right now that's accessible, that's kind of a next step for them, what are some of the, the conversations that they need to be having right now? So I think particularly in this time of COVID, it's understanding both the urgent and the important. Mm. So the urgent is whether it's a bit, our buffers, how we reduce that uh, cognitive load so that we reduce that, um, where we talked about in the very beginning, that loss of IQ points, that um, as if I haven't had a full night's sleep because I'm stressed about money, how we do that is by facing our personal financial position. And I'm seeing too many people behave at the moment like it's business as usual with their finances because they just want to feel normal when it's absolutely not. So what I would highly recommend is to do the urgent, to go back through three months worth of expenses and swap, pause or cancel anything that you don't need anymore. 
to face your income and to and to actually work out how much income am I do I have coming in now? Is that has that dropped or is that increased? And if it's increased, can I be putting that aside? Because I believe that there's going to be opportunities as a result of COVID. And can I prepare for those? Um, but it's also building a buffer. So it's building three to six months worth of a spending buffer so that if in February when all this, or March when all the stimulus payments are over, you're not having that same sleep at night anxiety and dropping cognitive load because you've put that aside. So it's doing the urgent, but then it's doing the important. And the important is the self-awareness. Important is the actually start to understand your money story. Ask yourself the questions we've been asking together. Understand you look into your money environment, look at your money type and start to every month add a new financial money habit that's actually right for you and start to develop a toolkit of financial habits that are your very particular money habits so that in 12 months time, the learning that you can have out of COVID is I set up these buffers. I've got these cash stores. Money is just something that happens now so that I'm able to be more creative in my job. I'm able to concentrate over here. And suddenly, as a result of that, my life has become easier. Oh, I love that. Really practical advice for people. And again, when we get this part of our life right, it influences every other aspect. Yes. It touches all the other domains within our life. It affects our relationships. It affects the way that we interact with our team. We, When we're not mm. losing sleep over money at night, we come to work in the morning refreshed and ready to kind of bring our best creativity and ideas. So every aspect of our life gets touched um, when we sort this out and we have the, actually um, have the courage to have these conversations um, that help us to essentially identify our money story, get the environment right in which our, our money environment right, and then discover who we are, our money type, and how we can best lead and develop habits that are relevant and helpful for us that enhance the best of us rather than feeling like we're constantly living under the scrutiny of a restrictive budget or mm. you know an Excel spreadsheet, uh, which yeah. if that's your thing, that's your thing. Um, Absolutely. And for some, <laughs> there will be. It's not to say that for some people, they won't love themselves as good, a good Excel spreadsheet. I do. Uh, I just can't live off one. Yeah, and that's such helpful advice. And so, of, of course, if you are listening, um, please go out and get a copy of um, uh, Budgets Don't Work, but this does. Because, I again, fantastic book, really helpful. Thank and you. I would encourage people to read it with a pen and paper to take the practical insights because you do highlights, you get to um, give space for people to reflect and think about it. Um, but is there any other way for people to connect with you in, in, in a really helpful way? Yeah, so it's absolutely via the book or if you go to and there's an e on the end of my name melissa brown uh, .com.au and from there i've got online courses and more resources so if you want to dig in further you can that's great and i'll put the link to that in the show notes so people can have uh, can, can find you and contact with you and reach out and connect but a huge awesome. thank you for being part of the show it's been great to chat to you yeah, really good to chat to you too. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.